For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelations in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working and the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Father, as the Apostle Paul here prayed that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would understand the hope of your calling, the hope and the glory of your riches in glory, in your inheritance, in all of the saints. And Father, we would understand that the resources that we have are divinely empowered and divinely blessed. Father, your children, called by your name, before the foundations of the world, were placed into the body of Christ, your church. Father, may there be a new passion to be in the church, to be serving in the church, to be a part of the church in such a way that the world will look at the unity of the saints and the power of he who spoke existence into being and will stand in a place of awe, saying, These are children of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul. And may we, as these precious believers in Ephesus, will be known for our faith in the Lord Jesus and our love for all the saints. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. We've been going through this. We went through a massive theological dissertation in verses 3 through 4. 14, which is one sentence. And it is so overwhelming that the Apostle Paul realizes the only thing he can do is pray. Pray that these people can get this, that they can get a handle on this. I've shared with you, when you're reading your Bible, there are two things that are in every verse. And you have to be able to pick which of the two is it. Is this a positional truth? Or is this a practice? All right. One of the things that I've learned, I'd like to say wasn't that big a deal. But the hard way is the bulk of Christians know what the practice is. But very few understand their positions in Jesus Christ. And, and it's, it's a tragedy. But I also understand if the Apostle Paul realized that after I taught this position... I need to pray that they get a hold of it. Then what makes you think you or I are going to be any better? Remember, the practice in the letter to the Ephesians doesn't come until chapter 3. 
or chapter 4, sorry. Our position is laid out in 1 through 3. And every, every other one, he stops and prays. These people got to get this. Because when I have my position down, the practice is second nature. And whenever you read scripture, I don't care whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. When I read it, I'm either reading a text that's showing me my position in Christ. Or my practice before Christ. Okay. Which brought us to verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of your calling. You know, he summarizes salvation in one sentence. One is the hope of your calling. Two, the riches of the glory of your inheritance. That is salvation. It's it's wrapped up in one sentence. But note what he says. I want their hearts. And I shared this with you, okay? This is your mind. It ain't your emotions. Look around you, brothers and sisters. The churches that you see that have these massive groups are all based on what? Emotions. Let me tell you something. When the trials and the tribulations come, what is your emotions going to do for you? But if I know what my position is in Christ, I can stand whatever is thrown at me. And it won't matter. Believers, every believer, I don't care if you've been a believer for 50 years. I don't care if you've been a believer for five months or five minutes. Every believer is a part of God's plan. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him, there that word is again, in him before the foundation of the world. All right, that's his plan. But as I have looked at his plan, the hope of my calling and the riches of the glory of my inheritance, I need to understand what my resources are. I mean, what a plan. But now that that plan has been shown to me, what are my resources? Each Christian is a part of it. Every one of you is a part of it. Every one of you have the ability to affect the eternal destiny of souls. It isn't the evangelist, it isn't the pastor, it isn't the elder, it isn't the deacon, it isn't the Sunday school teacher. It is every child of God has that ability. Here's where we go wrong. We figure out what the practice is. Those are those ones, you know the ones that I told you, they got the crinkled up forehead and they're just mad because you didn't say the sinner's prayer. And I just look at them and I think, man, I don't know what you got, but I hope it ain't contagious. Because, see, when I understand where my position is, then the hope of my calling and the understanding of the glory of the riches of my inheritance pour forth in such a way that people says, what's up with that guy? I shared with you in Sunday school this morning. 
about being at the counter in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, and everybody was mad because they'd canceled our flight. And I wasn't mad. I was the only one. I don't know if they thought I was drunk or what the heck was going on, but normally the drunk people are the maddest. And I said, no, nah, man, ain't that big a deal. And you know what? They've been over backwards to assist me. Why? I wasn't mad. You know why? I knew God had opened the door for me to be in Baku, and he was going to get me there if he had to take me by donkey. Now, I would have filed a protest. But I would have said, all right, man, let's go, Mr. Ed the Mule. All right? But but do you see what I'm trying to get at? Because I look at it, this isn't my calling. I surrendered my plans to him way before I even knew I surrendered my plans to him. And he, every once in a while, he has to go, hey, you've been bought and paid for with a price. Quit your belly aching. I said, I didn't say nothing. He says, I know what you're thinking. You cheat. Which brings me to verses 19 and 20. I want you to think about this for a minute. We looked at the greatness of God's plan. I want you to think about the greatness of God's power. I heard someone say years ago that man will live his life directly proportionate to the size of his God. I remember one time there was a group of pastors had come together. One of the pastor's wives had uh, ovarian cancer. And they wanted to get together, lay hands, and pray pray for her. I said, all right, I'm in. And so we had some uh, a group of us there and a handful of what I called lovingly and affectionately doodahs. And during the prayer, one of the pastors was praying. He said, uh, God... We see your glory at hand, and we give you permission to heal this lady. I about fell over. What? So when we were getting ready, we were done, and she left, and we were getting ready to leave, and I walked up to his, his name's Mike, and I walk up, put my arm around, and I says, hey, Mike. And he says, yeah. He said, wasn't that awesome? I said, yeah. I says, but you need to get a bigger God. What? My God don't ask for permission of nothing. I guess your God has to get permission. You need a bigger God. Wasn't a whole lot he's going to say now, was he? Part of the things that I have watched in the body of Christ is, and I, and I see it everywhere, across denominations, I don't care who the group is, I don't care what the denomination is, I don't care if you're independent, I even sit in quote-unquote Bible churches. People have no concept of what the power of God is. And they'll quote you some stuff. Oh, he spoke existence into being. Okay. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of powerful. I mean, and then, then what? Then he went on vacation? What? I mean, you know, seven days and then he's in eternal rest? 
What is his power? Now, first and foremost, remember, anytime you're studying the scriptures, you always have to remember the Holy Spirit wrote this book through human agents. Men led by the Spirit, Peter tells us. So, Paul is trying to describe to mortal human beings how powerful those mortal human beings are. Okay? Now, think about that for a second. How powerful are you? Well, let me ask you a question. Well, I'm just a humble servant. Well, are you or are you not in Christ? Or how powerful is Christ? Hmm. Interesting concept. What does that mean? When it's been zero for two months, you can walk on water. That's what it means. But I'm one of these people that if you can raise the dead, you touch me when I die, I'm coming back and whooping you. Because when I leave, I want to stay by. I I tell tell people this and they kind of look at me like I fell off the turnip truck. But I say, I spend more time with the Apostle Paul than anybody. Well, how do you do that? I'll leave my Bible. (laughs) Well, how often? Often. Okay. So therefore, I spend... A lot of time with the Apostle Paul. That's why my wife gets annoyed at my sarcasm. I didn't spend too much time with Paul. So that don't work no more. He here in verse 19 uses every word he can think of to try to explain to you and me, the power source that you and me have. All right? He uses four different words for power in verse 19 alone. Okay? Now remember, I'm going back to the original language. All right? So I'm going to give them to you. Ready? The first one you see there is the greatness of his power. Dunamis. Dunamis. That's where we get dynamite from or dynamo from. The greatness of his power. That is an inherent power. It is only, and it is only used in the New Testament for believers. Dunamis. Inherent power. There is no more. There is no more. It's inherent power. It is only the power of God. That's all it is. Okay. And remember you have your joint heirs. You have an inheritance. Remember what he said? The glory of his inheritance. Then he comes back with you there in verse 19. He says the greatness of his inheritance. Inherent power, dunamis. All right? 
Second word. These are in accordance with the working. Working. Energa. Energa. That's the word you and I get energy from. The working. The energy. Third word. Might. His might. Ketas. Ketas. That is dominion. Authoritative dominion. Then last but not least, strength. Strength. Is cos. Is cos. Endowed power. So you have inherent power, you have energy, you have dominion, and you have endowed power. He uses all four of those words in that one phrase. Dunamis, inherent power, energa, operating power, ketas, ultimate power, iskas, endowed power. So Paul's trying to explain to us God's power in the individual believer that is a part of the body of Christ. Paul is telling us there is power every way you can cut it. It's yours. It's in, as he says there, in the saints. And yet, how many, if I had a nickel for every time I heard this phrase, I don't know if I can do that. Do you realize how absurd that is? That's nuts. Now, I mean, I could be technical about it and I can say, no, you can't do it. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, no, that's for preachers. <laughs> no, it ain't. Paul would say, that's why I'm praying for you, my friend. That you understand there is absolutely nothing you can't do in him. We have power. And yet, when I look around, how many people do you see trying to do the practice of Christ in human effort? You don't see that very often, do you? You know, when I think about a Christian saying, I don't know if I can do that, to me, that's inconceivable. When I think about the power source that indwells every child of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, that is exceedingly mind-numbing to me. I There's times that I just can't fathom it. I'm just sitting there going... I don't know how that works. You have power to deal with the eternal destiny of souls. Did you know that? 
I don't care who you are. Now, think about that for a second. I have the ability to affect the eternal destiny of souls. You know, if I share the gospel with somebody or my testimony with somebody and they reject it, you know what you just did? Condemned them to hell. You did it. You still had that power. Listen, if God doesn't open their eyes, it ain't your fault. But you did what God told you to do, and that was to share your testimony, share the gospel. If he condemns them and they take that to the grave with them, saying the rest of their eternity, that will be in their conscience as part of their torment. Now, nobody's going to say, well, I'll sign up for that job. We want to be Billy Graham. Who gets the bigger reward, Billy Graham or Jeremiah? Jeremiah got sent out and says, I need to send somebody. Jeremiah says, I'll do it. He says, they ain't going to listen to you. Then why are we sending anybody? So they'll be without excuse. We have the power. Yet too many do it in human effort. And then if you've ever shared your testimony, shared the gospel shared your passion for Jesus Christ and the person refused it, what's your first response? I'm a failure. Then so was Ezekiel. So was Isaiah. Oh, wait. So was Jesus. The Apostle Paul made a statement. I've got a book of a similar title. The book I've got, when I run into a pastor who's struggling, they're discouraged, they're wanting to quit, they're wanting to go take up insurance selling or whatever it is that pastors don't want to, I don't want to do this no more. i got a book that's called I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? For it is the dunamis of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is the power of God to salvation. Interesting, don't you think? How much is this power? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Power. The power of salvation is God-ordained. And it comes through the word. But you know what? God even gives the average Christian, or what we'll call The sub-average Christian. We'll try that one. The power to endure suffering. Suffering. 2 Corinthians 
verse 12. I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ. And when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them. I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The aroma of death to death and to other aroma of life to life. Who is adequate for these things? Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of ourselves. I can overcome suffering, but God kept it in this clay pot. So that the clay pot would understand the power source wasn't the clay pot. The power source is a precious treasure inside. It's kind of cool if you think about it. I also have the power, the average or below average Christian to do God's will. To do God's will. Listen, how many have I sat and spoke with that feel they don't have the resources? They don't have the energy. They don't have the time. They don't have, fill it in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You have the energy. You have the resources. You ever thought about that? Remember, Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, Paul's in prison when he writes them. And yet they're some of the most encouraging letters you'll ever get. And I try to figure out, how can somebody be chained to a Roman soldier and be encouraging other people? I'd be writing a letter saying, get my butt out of here. Jailbreak, do something. So I've got the power... To reach the eternal destiny of souls, we have the power to suffer and yet be victorious. And it's for all of us. I, every Christian, has the power to do God's will, to do God's purpose. Every one of you, you all have it. And yet, what do we do? Well, I'm embarrassed to share the gospel. Are you? 
Boy, it was a good thing God wasn't embarrassed to share it with you. And yet it's the same power. People say, well, I just don't know what to say. I would try opening my mouth. Just an idea. And you know what? If you feel like you don't have enough Bible information, I wonder whose fault that is. I wonder who thought that up. Listen, you think we ain't bought into this. The majority of Christians that I deal with think you've either had to have been to what do they call it, a Christian college or grew up in a Christian school or you should have gone to seminary. Right? If I've got all that information, I'm ready. Send me. Really? Hmm. What Christian school did Peter go to? Oh. What seminary did Peter go to? He was a fisherman. And best I can conclude, he wasn't very good unless of her divine intervention. I mean, he kind of fishes like me. God, let me catch something. Right? But see, we bought into what man says, this will qualify you to be an evangelist. This, You know what evangelism school used to be? If you were going to be a missionary, you know what they taught you? How to do C-sections, appendicitis, set bones. Hmm. Why? Because where you's going, there ain't no doctors. The message you already have. You know what the greatest theological teaching tool that God ever placed on the planet Earth is? The church. Because you don't want me teaching you how to do a C-section. Just, just say it. Okay, because I'm thinking, I got duct tape. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we'll fix her right up. But yet, look at what has happened. I met with the the prof- or the dean or whatever he is, the grand poobah of uh, Denver Seminary. We went out to lunch and we were talking. And he says, you know, he's just he was really discouraged and troubled. And uh, when I said, uh, so what's bugging you? And he says, young men come to seminary to do master's degree work. Okay? That, that's, that's what seminary is. It's you're getting your master's in whatever thing you take. I was like, well, okay. He says, you know, we have people coming in here doing master's degree work in theology who believe that you were saved by works in the Old Testament and by faith in the New Testament. Me being the Barnabas of our day, he of encouragement, smiled at him and says, Looks to me like you guys are reaping what you sow. Remember, 
you're sending the clowns out that are teaching whatever they're teaching, and the people don't understand that the righteous shall live by faith. That's Hosea and Paul. That would be Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah, but they they believe that six days of creation were millions of years per day because it says it was a yom and without a delineation of time. It can be any grouping of time. I said, huh, why does it say there was sunrise and sunset? That was a million years apart. <laughs> Slow motion. No, six days. Six days. And yet I bought into it. I went through one time and said, I'll calculate these. And I went by all these people, you know, he lived to be 400 years and he lived to be 800 years. He lived. And I went, I'm just going to go cruise through that thing. See what I come up with. When I got done, I was depressed. I was like, man, it's got to be more than that. I mean, I wasn't specific. I didn't cut it down to the jot and to the tittle. I just did round numbers. And I got done 57.25. All right. Uh, you know, I thought it'd be like 50,000, 20,000. No, it ain't even six. But see what we've done. People said, well, where'd you go to school? My Bible. Well, whereabouts? On my desk. But you know what? My school was cheaper than yours. I just read it. Brothers and sisters, you live in the land of the free. Do you understand the goofy resources you can get off of your computer? Now, I don't know how to use those. I still use books. And the reason is the batteries don't die in my books. Okay? I was an electrician once. I know what batteries are and they're a drag. I share this because I want you to know this stuff. All you have to do is read it. All you have to do is read it. The power is in the word. It's not in your education, your diploma. The power is in this word. He also gives us the power to serve. One of my, nah, probably my favorite. It, it's one of those things that we look at it and we say, okay, what is your job security if I go into this vocation? Or this is the vocation God said I have to go to. And yet I can read in Hebrews 13 that says, <clears throat> The elder, the pastor, has to give an account to the souls that are entrusted to him. And I complain about that on a semi-regular basis because I'm like, Hey, man, these are yours. I don't want nothing to do with this. Okay. So why are you making me be accountable for what? Okay, so I, I complain about it. But I also remember when Paul says, who is adequate for such a task? Who is adequate for such a task? 
You know what the passion of my soul is? Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom so that we may present every man. It's to tell us. We can present every man perfect in Christ. I know. You saw the same thing I did. Well, you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> Complete in Christ. Okay, but remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. Who's adequate? I am going to admonish. I'm going to teach. I'm going to grab all the wisdom I can get out of the Bible to admonish and to teach so I can present every man perfect in Christ. Now, think about that for a minute because that's the motivating factor. But then what? this is what I want you to see, the power to serve. For this purpose, I labor according to his dunamis. His power. And if you think about it, if you're going to present a man perfect in Christ, are you going to try to do that in your own abilities? No, I'm doing it in the... But, you know, he uses two word verbs there, labor and striving, meaning that uh, the word labor there is actually a veterinary term in the Greek that speaks of when a horse overextends its shoulder and tears that muscle. That's the labor. The striving is has to do that I work to the point of exhaustion. So I'm willing to physically hurt myself and work myself to exhaustion in the power of God to present every man perfect in Christ. That's pretty awesome if you think about it. What would happen if a congregation of this size had that mindset? I'm willing to labor and strive in the power of God to present every man perfect in Christ. Hmm. Then people will say, well, Terry, you get up there and you speak with conviction and you're confident and all the rest of that. I don't know if I have that power. Really? Thought you would never say that, but here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Cool, huh? When did the Holy Spirit come upon you? At the moment of your salvation. And you didn't get a half a tank of Holy Spirit or a quarter tank of Holy Spirit. Or you're not looking for a Holy Spirit gas station. So you can top off your tank. He is complete in you now. At the moment of your salvation. You know what? I wrote a little note down here. And then I thought, well, do I really want to say this? But I'm going to because you know me. We have so much power. We are dangerous. Every child of God. 
Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the dunamis that works within us. He has given me ultimate power. He has given me the energy. He has given me inherent power. And there is nothing I can't do. Period. Period. I've had people ask me, how in the world did you ever get to traveling internationally teaching pastors? I just smile at him and says, I'm living proof God has a sense of humor. He take old hillbilly, send him to Russia. Incredible power. And there isn't any more. I see so many people looking for something else. Well, if I could have upbeat music, if I could have downbeat music, you know, because I had a, I was talking to a pastor. Guys, guy listens. I mean, <laughs> he does. I'm not, I think I'm making more uncomfortable than anything. And he is a worship leader. I've seen him play the guitar. He is good guitar player. Very good guitar player. An awesome guitar player. He's a worship leader. I was like, oh, that's cool. He says, well, who's your worship leader? And I smile at him and says, me? He says, what do you play? The Bible. And he says, well, what are you talking about? I says, Romans chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1. What does it say? Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of playing the guitar. No, this is your act of spiritual worship. Well, you know, we do a contemporary and then a traditional worship. And I was like, that's cool. I think Eli's son, didn't they do a contemporary? I think it was contemporary. Why? Because they did it the way they believed it was necessary. Contemporary. It's the way I want it to be. I smiled at him. I said, you know, there is more chapters written on how to worship God then there is God's creation being done. Which one do you suppose is more important to our Father in heaven? See what I'm trying to get at? Look how we have corrupted ourselves. Incredible power, and yet people are still looking for more. And I'm sitting there going, dude, I have the ability to do the will of God. What more power do I need? I have the ability to serve, labor, and striving. I have the ability to reach the lost. Listen, when I think people are looking for more in their quote-unquote worship or their relationship with Jesus or whatever, all I can think of is how offensive to a gracious Totally loving God who in Christ has given you everything. And you want more. He wants us 
Paul does, to get a good understanding of what this power is. And so Paul, to say the least, wants us to get a handle on it. So he says, all right, I've given you four words for the power that every Christian has. All right? Then he gives you verse 20. Let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate this power so that you kind of get a better handle on this. I am convinced there's no one in this room at some point or another has not questioned the power of God. I don't know how you're going to do this. I know. You got, I've never done that. But that's fine. I have. Okay, I was a year and a half ago. So I'm, how are you going to get me out of Germany? Okay. So I mean, I've been in places like, well, I hope I get out of here. I got my papers checked in the bus or the subway in Moscow, and they took me into this room that looked like something out of a Boris Karloff movie. And you're sitting there going, well, if this works, I said, because my Russian is awful. Remember, Paul says, remember where Paul's at when he writes this letter. He's chained to a Roman soldier awaiting trial. Okay. The same power that you and I have is the same power that raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. That power. That power. The power that raised him out of the grave and crowned him king of kings and lord of lords. That power. That power. If you are worried whether God can carry out his promised plan in each of our lives. Take us from this mess to glory. He did it in Christ. He did it in Christ so you and I in 2017 can say, can you believe what he did in Christ? And people say, well, how do you know that happened? I saw the grave. It's empty. Ain't nobody home. Nor are there any bones. They're nothing. It's empty. Poofta. All gone. Take us from this mess here and take us to glory there. He did it in Christ. He will do it to you and I. Because the power is still the same. We like to smile at each other. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unless you've fallen on hard times. But then he says, hey, are you struggling? Do you feel I have forsaken you? Do you feel like it is you're the only one left? Read Job. Oh, poo. Go read one of my very first prophets, Elisha. 
And the prophets of Baal, consumed by fire. And a woman's going to get you. I will go hide. Well, wait a minute. If you just consumed the prophets of Baal, you don't think you can't consume Jezebel? Boy. Same power. And if you really are honest with yourself, it's amazing. Listen, I want you to understand something about this. It is not so much that we understand the power for service as we understand the power for him being able to keep us and secure us. That's the power. That's the power. My mom freaks out and I tell her, I said, Mom, I need to pray. I'm going to go back to Azerbaijan and then I'm going to go over to Georgia. Oh, what's What's the matter, Mom? Why do you do that? Well, you know, I just got tired of going to Hawaii and the Caribbean and getting tans and, you know, going to the beach and hanging out. So I thought I'd go to an oil pit and another place where the Russians are bombing them. Sounds better. You see? See, that's my Pauline sarcasm. (laughs) In case you're wondering. But this is the stuff that I want us to think about. Why am I there? You know what? The first trip I ever took to, uh, where did I go? Orel. We had a stop in uh, London. I was traveling with a guy who had two PhDs, one from Dallas and one from the Masters. Okay? And I preached at three churches in England, and he watched. We got to Moscow. I preached at a church in Moscow. He watched. We went to Orel. We taught these guys. And, and he said, well, you know, I'll teach in the afternoon. You teach in the morning. I said, that's great because they always fall asleep in the afternoon. I'll take the mornings. He ain't never been back. I've been back, what, eight times, seven times, something like that. Why? They asked for me. Why? I mean, I get people made for everything. You're just talking dangling participles. And I just sit there and go, what is that? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I learned it from my Russian students. <laughs> that didn't work. Why is that, people? Why? I don't do it. I can't do it. I'm not adequate. I know I'm not. I'm a firm believer in Calvin's teaching on earthworm theology. I am a worm. I'm a clay pot. I am a crack pot that the waste of the house is thrown out the back door. I know that. So why me? Because I know The power of the Holy Spirit in any believer can literally turn the world upside down at any given moment. It will overcome your personality. It will overcome your education. It will overcome your nuances, your social structure. It is greater than all of that. And I also know no matter what happens... I'm 100% secure in Christ. If 
fulfilling the hope that is in Christ. The hope of my calling. I know what it is. My identity, your identity is the person of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. It ain't your kids, it ain't your... Today's grandparents' days. Hallelujah. I think these people just sit around and think this stuff up. But anyway, and I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm a grandparent. Yay! It's not my identity. My identity is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I know we all doubt every once in a while. Can God do this? Listen, he did it with Christ. He raised them from the grave. He shattered the bondage of sin and death. Christ came forth. He came forth alive. His body came forth. This was not a spiritual thing. His body came out of the grave. And then he placed him by his right hand side in the heavens and crowned him king of kings, lord of lords, forever and ever. Amen. Guess what? He will do the very same thing with each and every one of us. Think about that for a second. Each and every one of us will be in the throne room of heaven, with God the Father, God the Son, and dwelled by the Holy Spirit in an undying body, and it will only be forever and ever. That's the power you possess right now. I'm not waiting on it. It's here. I don't have to bad dream for more. I got to exercise what he's given me. He will raise us with Christ and we will sit with him in the father's throne. So why would you be insecure? Paul told Timothy, a little exercise profits a little. What should you do? Dwell on the word. Dwell on the word. You think about it. Each and every one of you. Think about your days. I mean, we work. Uh, we have things that we have to do. Travel times. We, we've got all of this, this stuff that we do. We come home in the evening. You've got to figure out what you're going to eat. And, and, you know, some of you people get your clothes ready for the next day, which I still think is sick. But anyway, you can still do that. And, you know, I'm going to wear this tomorrow, so I'm going to lay it out here. And I'm going to put this on you like, weird stuff. What if it's snowing? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> see, I don't, I don't ever jump to conclusions. So my phone's been warning me all weekend there's a hurricane. And I was like... You know, man, do you know where I'm at? <laughs> or should I be very afraid? But you, you get, get this kind of stuff, right? You're, you're planning all day long. I'm going to ask you a question. When it comes to dealing with the heavenly things in the word of God, the power of the gospel that get, makes you be able to deal with the eternal destiny of souls 
the ability to serve, the ability to do God's will in an ultimate authoritative way, in an authoritative power, do you spend more time there or in the temporal things? Just a question. Because I'm going to ask you another question. You know how I am. You ask one, he's always got one right there to come up behind your head. Which of them is of greater value? I remember some of you guys. I don't know, maybe not. I have a friend named John the Baptist. If you meet him, you know why I call him John the Baptist. He reminds me of John the Baptist. Uh, you don't have to figure out where he's standing. <laughs> He's an over-the-road truck driver, okay? Big man, huge man. He's a trip. We were at a shepherd's conference. I took two guys here from the church. We went out to the shepherd's conference. John comes up. John John prays for me every day. John's one of these people who says, I'm going to pray for you every day. You know what he's going to do? Pray for me every day. He prays for me every day. I know he does. I know he does. And I pray for him off and on. <laughs> Every once in a while I feel guilty. I didn't pray for John for a while. And his wife, precious Sue. <laughs> anyway, he prays for me every day. And every once in a while I'll get a text. He'll be stopped sleeping or whatever he's going to do. He'll, he'll get in a hold of me. Anyway, he was at a shepherd's conference. He paid for his pastor and the elders to go to the shepherd's conference. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Okay. I had two guys with me, and he walks up. you got to understand, John's a big man, and he comes up to these two guys. He puts his arm around him, and they both come to about here on John. Okay, his armpits. He puts his arms around him. He looks down at him and goes, So what is it you do in the body of Christ? You're like, hmm. And you can just see these guys going. And uh, one of them looks up and says, I'm here to try to figure that out. <laughs> That's a good answer. Don't try to buffalo John. Because Anyway. So he says, I want you to meet somebody. I said, all right, John. He takes me over and he says, this is my pastor. And he introduced me. I don't remember his name. He introduced him. He says, Terry. And I said, yeah. And he says, tell him how much time you spend in the Word before you give a message on Sunday. He said, I don't know, 35, 40 hours. He looks over at his pastor and says, do you spend that long? He <laughs> John, brother, you're out here winning friends and influencing people. But see, now you know why I call him John the Baptist. <laughs> okay, you're, you're not trying to figure out, ooh, wonder what he meant by that. <laughs> Love him to death. Love him to death. I'm glad I'm not his pastor. <laughs> when it comes to you and I, all right, my calling in the body of Christ is a little different than yours. Okay, I agree with that. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. But you know what? Every single one of you have a calling in the body of Christ. Every single one of you. And that calling was set in God's plan before the foundations of the world. And the same power 
that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him at the right hand of God is the same one that's in each of us. So are you exercising your calling in the glory of the riches of your and my inheritance? Paul prays, God, by your spirit, may they understand the plan and the greatness of the power that will energize that amazing plan. And every one of you are a part of the power that energizes God's eternal plan. My prayer is that you grasp that. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Lord, as the Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be open, that they would understand the wisdom and the revelation that is set before each and every child of God, I pray the same for these people. Father, may they be overwhelmed with the greatness of your plan. But Father, may in humble adoration they bow their knee before you, the author and the finisher of existence, and understand the power source of our resources. Father, you have shown us amazing things in this letter. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, there's a day that I long to see him, and yet, Father, there will be a day that I would be so consumed with just being in your presence. Lord, I pray that these people who are called by your name understand the urgency of the day, The Father also will be overwhelmed with the privilege of being placed before the foundations into the body of Christ, your church. The bride of Christ, the church. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk worthy, but help each of us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.